Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis, and thanks, folks, for tuning in. You know, I went back, and I dug up some of my first programs the other day, and man, oh, man, um, I guess, I, you know, it's it's coming along, but I, I'll tell you what, um, I tried to find what I've been talking about and um, some of the things that I haven't hit upon. And I wanted to try to do that today, and and we're going to be able to do it. But I I couldn't believe it's already been since 2012, June of 2012. So, man, oh, man, it's already been six years, I guess, and we're into year seven of American Tennis. I just want to thank you for uh, listening. I've got, uh, you know, we've had a steady number of listeners all that time, and it's grown and grown, and, you know, I'm really excited about it. So thank you, American Tennis, every Wednesday at noon on the UR Tennis Network. Next week is Thanksgiving, and uh, probably we will not have a program. Uh, so it's family time, so you know how that goes. But I just needed to get started here and tell you I, I had a great coaching buzz this last week, a coaching buzz. Well, what the heck is that after a lot of years? Literally, when things go well, sometimes you get goosebumps and you get a coaching buzz. And I'm going to refer to this in a minute, but I've referred often to the talent code as being one of the best books out there if you're a parent or if you're a coach or if you're a player. If you want to really have a no-nonsense book about how you get good at things and how you master things, and uh, we talk about working for mastery over success, but uh, I'm a parent who's new into baseball, so I'm hungry as can be, even though I've been a coach. I'm very much a rookie in baseball, and we are searching, searching for wisdom and knowledge, and uh, we found some things, but if you are a tennis parent out there and you'd like to know how 
your youngster needs to work through this whole maze of not just tournaments and all that you have to do in tennis, but really the the meat and potatoes, ABCs, of getting good at tennis or anything. The Talent Code is about the best book out there. But they have a chapter in there, and it really is about the HSE, the holy shit effect. And and I guess I'm allowed to say that on Blog Talk Radio. I guess Howard Stearns gets away with a lot worse than I do. But the holy shit, what just happened? And uh, you youngsters who are listening out there, sorry I'm cussing. Um, but as a coach, it's a coaching buzz, the HSE, I will call it, the holy you-know-what effect. But we were out on clay out at uh, Kiowa Island, and I, I brought up about the great Roy Barth and how he talked to my team uh, last week. It was fantastic. He gave him some some uh, wisdom, some diamonds to hang on to. But we had players, we had the players play three out of five sets on clay, and the HSE effect, the holy, you know, what, what just happened out there, happened on two of the courts. And, it, it, and, and let me tell you, it happened after the kids were both broken down. It was in the third hour of the match. They had nowhere to go except to the depth of their hearts. Their legs were gone. Their strokes were gone. They were basically throwing sticks. But the competitiveness and the drama, I always talk about the drama of the tennis. The real excitement comes from drama. It's not the flash of the shots. It's not a big forehand or backhand. But when the hearts were all laid out there on the court, it was it was a beautiful thing. So, uh, and that's all I'm going to say about the scoring. But, of course, here, uh, in my coaching, we will never abbreviate stuff because you don't ever get to see that HSE, the holy, you know, what effect, but we saw it there. But I, I want to talk to you a second and uh, sort of set the table. So what what I'd like to do, this this program is for your, it's, it's all about your education as a parent, as a coach, as a player, as a young player. I wish I had known a lot more things and saved a lot more time. Have you ever thought about the amount of tennis that, you play from the time you're 12 to 16, thousands of hours. And very often we just repeat the same things over and over again, hoping that we get something right. But I'm telling you, the Talent, Talent Code is a great book out there, and uh, I'm recommended it highly. But I want to talk today. I've got a wonderful coach with me today, Coach Dave Fosnott, by the way. Welcome, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Thank, thanks for being here. It's, it's uh, great to have him because – he was a, a wonderful player, uh, you know, in his state of South Carolina, right? In the state of South Carolina, he played college tennis. And um, then, of course, he's been a teaching pro and a junior development coach, and now he's a college coach. And um, he's young enough to where he knows through his emotions. Now, I always say there's no motion without emotion. You don't remember anything unless it's an emotional experience. As we get older, we forget the frivol, 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 what's that word? Frivolities, the things that don't stick, is that right? Those things that don't stick blow away pretty dang fast. 
And uh, the reason they blow away is they're not connected with an emotional experience. You have to connect things with an emotional experience. My young men who played that three out of five set matches the other day, they won't forget those matches very easily because they were so, so hard and they had to dig so deep into their emotional bank. But I don't remember what it was like my junior career coach. I I don't remember. I um, Basically, I remember things that happened. I, I remember, of course, critical things that I've talked about before. But those lessons in, in making the transition, of course, from player to being a tennis teacher, decide you want to teach young people, to being a coach. I mean, and, and folks, there's a big difference between a teacher and a coach. A teacher teaches the game, the mechanics, the ABs and C, ABCs. The coach teaches the X factor. Um, you know, the, the, the teacher is the person who gets all the strokes right, but the coach coaches the people past where they wanted to go. And I'm going to say this uh, one one thing here. The great Tom Landry, uh, who was coached the Dallas Cowboys, I never forget. I read a read a book early in my coaching career about the uh, working towards coaching perfection. Tom Landry, and he said the key uh, your job as a coach is to get people to do things they don't want to do in order to have things they want to have. And therefore, I've always remembered that. And I know that's when I got to work for Harry Hopman or my great coaches that I had. Uh, I had a Bill Green, John McLeod in basketball. These guys were so good. Even I, I got in Vic Somm back when I was, I remember Brother Roland. I still keep my high school coach's picture. He died at 94 years old, I believe. But I still remember, I keep his picture in my car. But the point is, is comfort bears no fruit. The best coaches understand that. It's not not always the same. So what I want to do today is to let you talk a lot, Coach. I sort of set the table, but I'd, I'd like to walk you through. Talk, let's talk about, first of all, your history. and how did you, Wait a minute. Okay. Everybody has a starting point. How did you get into tennis i mean what what exactly how what okay what was your starting point in tennis why did you get in well funny enough the only reason i got into tennis to start was my mom was too tired of chasing me around the house so she said uh, you were one of those add kids big time, big time. <laughs> big all, all over the place okay i was too yeah. so we're going to talk about that a second go ahead i want to come back to that point yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, i was tired of chasing me around the house so she put me on a tennis court and found out that that got me a lot more tired than anything else I did, so they were to calm me down to, so she can complete the rest of her day. Yeah, you know, the ADD stuff, of course, we all had ADD, didn't we? I, I mean, it's – and listen, f- parents out there, this is really, really important. I'm going to give you an important point. There's a, a guy up in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've had – he's done two shows on American tennis. I wish I could find them, but his name is Dr. Jim Poole, P-O-O-L-E. He has a – He's a pediatrician. I mean, he had so many clinics. He was one of the big pediatricians in the state of North Carolina, the, 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 one of the major guys. But he started a company that, that has now, right now, what he does, I hate to say a company, but he worked with so many kids with ADD. He started, he said, it's, we're just messing all these kids up just to pop them with drugs. And he, say, he um, started a uh, 
program called Fast Brain. Look it up, Fast Brain, B-R-A-I-I-N-E, double I, fastbrain.com, Dr. Jim Poole. But uh, Coach, uh, Coach Day, what he does is he brings out that these kids are really your gifted kids. He had me read many years ago, probably 15 or 20 years ago, a book called The Edison Gene the Edison gene, and that Thomas Edison had ADD, by the way. Most of the brilliant people have ADD. ADD is like the mind trying to evolve. And so because it's so fast and it's, what, what do I want to say, it's, it's um, out of balance, or not, I don't want to say out of balance, it's always happening. Multi-talented. There we go. <laughs> That's what he would say. But I don't want to say multi-talented because it's multi-talented and multifaceted. He, the Edison gene says these are your great people. So you know what they do? They treat kids with music to smooth out the right side of the brain. Of course, uh, a lot of it is is uh, nutrition, uh, getting rid of a lot of the sugar and stuff, sleep patterns, exercise patterns, and the, he said only go. They only go to to medication in some extreme cases, but they start out, I was at one of his first, um, uh, one of his uh, meetings that he had with parents for the first time, and he said, I know I'm going to start right now by telling you that your kids are exceptional, they're some of the best kids out there, they are smart, and parents are going, what? We haven't heard this one before, you're not going to try to just put us on drugs, so but anyhow, we all had that. He said a jet pilot, you'd never want a quarterback or a jet pilot who did not have ADD. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So I'm sorry for jumping in there, but uh, take over. So she got you going in tennis because you were all over the place. Right? Yeah. And so from there over the next, I mean, probably from six to six to about 14, uh, that's where I really started to learn what tennis was and kind of get, getting into the game. And right around 13, 14 was when – realized what the difference between playing tennis and trying to become a tennis player really meant. Uh, The time it took to craft your skill, uh, really, it took over tenfold. And so in between time on court and time off court, which is where most of my success was able to come in the later years, to uh, just seeing how fitness is just as important on the in the game as hitting forehands and backhands. So that was probably the biggest uh, transition in my younger start. So, you know, playing tennis, you said something very interesting there, and I, um, there's a difference between playing tennis and being a tennis player. Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. Expound on Could you expound um, on that just a little bit? Well, playing tennis is just would be your – nothing wrong with after-school programs, but you're going to clinic from two to four and then – you're done with tennis for the day. You get your tennis in as your activity versus being a tennis player is where you study it off court. You make sure you get your fine tuning and your fitness. Uh, You take every open moment to find a way to get your skill and craft better instead of just trying to get a workout. I, I, you know, that's fantastic. I've often said that you can go to school every day of your life, never be a student, play the piano every day of your life, never be a musician. But it really is, it's when mastery takes over from just, uh, I I think we have too many people hunting for success and results instead of working. A lot of people want a hobby, but not many people want an obsession. Uh, 
it has to take over from the heart instead of just wanting wanting the end goal. You know, obsession. That's interesting. People have a negative uh, feeling about that. Oh, that's too much. You don't want them to be obsessed with the sport. Well, anybody great? The greatest have to be. They have to be obsessed with what they love. But when it comes to people being down obsession, it's it's more of a feel of fear of failure. Because if you put everything into something and you don't get everything back, um, that's, I mean, that's the biggest black hole or black door there is in sports, is are you willing to go the distance even though you're not guaranteed the success? Yeah, I mean, it's really true. So uh, it, what I'd like to try to do is make a journey here, uh, your perspective about being a player and learning. Um, what, what are some of the... I don't. I want to say, HSE moments for you as a player, or in your transition from playing tennis to being a player. Did it take you a year, two years, three years to, would you say, become a player? I think it took me until I was 14 to really <clears throat> feel like I became a player. Because I guess my HSE moment would be it was a 14s tournament somewhere in North Carolina. I can't remember if it was big or small. But uh, it was around that age when I really started working on my fitness with one of my coaches at the local club, and he kind of took me under his wing and got me in shape. And going into that tournament, I do remember in my mind if I made it to the semis or quarters and having the junior mindset of this would be a good tournament, you know, here or there, and making it all the way to the finals and then beating a player that I'd never beaten before. Uh, and I've played him many times in, in the years beforehand. But after beating him, kind of feeling like I was able to do something that I'd never done because I took I took my game in my hands instead of just going to class and sitting in the back row. Um, this is the first time you took charge of responsibility. Was there a correlation from the hard work that you had done your coach? A hundred percent. It was all it was all of a it was all a hard work. Training. Go a little deeper in that about the training. What what was the process? What well, first of all the coach must have seen something in you where they started pushing you harder and then were allowed to push you harder. Yes. My, my parents, they, they wanted the best for me, but they also knew to get that I had to be pushed to where I was uncomfortable. Um, and allowing that, that's what really made me into a tennis player to this day where being able to coach the same way I coach. One of my pet peeves is, is really in the United States of America right now, our high schools are the sleeping giant, without a doubt. I mean, if we could do something, we have nearly 400,000 high school participants in tennis. Do you know we only have 26,000 players that play more than two, two tournaments or more? Now, how can this be? That's only 7%, 7 out of 100. Now, I have argued that, Number one is the format. Number two, it's this no-cut tennis where they allow every Tom, Dick, Harry, Susie, Sally, and Betty to be on teams without having to sweat and bleed and do what it takes, blood, sweat, and tears, and lots of tears, by the way, folks, when you really, really care. If you care, if you dare, pressure and pain will be there. But we allow people to participate, so we have – made it into a participation activity. So, therefore, my pet peeve is, you know, with this scoring system, and uh, 
uh, I'm not going to apologize for it till the day I die or day I'm out of tennis. I the dumb down of the scoring system, the dumb down of the formats, these easy formats that they play do not inspire. Absolutely, folks, we need to put an asterisk automatically by an abbreviated match because it doesn't have the same weight. And the kids will never have that HSE effect if they don't go through the pain, if they don't go through the toughness of what it takes. Um, two HSE effects a year is, is max probably what a kid's going to get, but one in a lifetime sometimes will motivate them. Hundreds of hours of activity tennis will not motivate kids. And if you win a tiebreaker for the third set, there's two things. So you play a regular first set, regular second set, then tiebreaker for the third. Well, if I win, first of all, it never is a rite of passage. You never have the HSE effect. And secondly, if you lose, it doesn't hurt enough to make you go back home and say, what in the world have I done? So I wanted to ask you that. Let's say after all that work, you go up there, and then you're super tight, and you all, you lose. The, I bet you almost lost the first round or two. No, the first. I remember the first three rounds were three sets, but we played. Okay, wait, sets. wait a minute, wait a minute. Go ahead, talk about that. That's so important. That's such an important point. Uh, I, I remember. I don't remember the score lines, but I, I for certain remember almost losing every single match, even all the way in the final. There was not a single match I played that I felt like I, it was in the bag. It was a dogfight from the start to the finish. But we were allowed to play full thirds. and I was, uh, Where the learning takes place. In the 14s. And so that I was able to fight through all the emotions. I was able to work through everything that was going on in my head and use the training that is what pushed me up into that level. The training you did pushed you through. But let's say that you'd played a 10-point tiebreaker. And then you uh, you were feeling the pressure because, first of all, when people work really really hard, there's more pressure at first, and they do you do worse. By the way, folks, usually after you work hard, I hate to tell you, but when you work really really hard, there's more pressure, and you have to grow through that level of dealing with the rear end quivers. When your rear end starts to quiver, you still have to deliver. Well, guess what? You cannot deliver until you learn to deliver, but you're saying because you played a third set, because my players the other day played three out of five sets, they were able to work through all the jitters, and they were throwing sticks. They were basically done out there naked. They were wide. Their tennis was just crummy, but they were fighting. Their tennis was crummy, but their hearts were on vivid display, and it was inspiring. And, you know, actually, we had – Lots of resort people were standing there watching, and it wasn't the tennis they were watching, folks. It was the intensity of the fighting and the caring, and it was wonderful. So I had an HSE effect. So that's that's a great – so with that, that was sort of a breakthrough moment for you after you had worked hard. So go ahead uh, a little bit more about your perspective, maybe to coach to you your – did you always understand what the coach was wanting you to do? Did you, or you were, were you just obedient and compliant, or did you question? And what kind of kid were you? I bet you were questioning. I was a little questionable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I definitely pushed the limit, but I never, I never said no. I just made it, I made it a little tougher for him to do his job at times, but we always got the job done. Um, he just, he 
and even with him uh, thinking back, it, he might not have known everything he was doing, but he was doing everything he knew that he could. And he, we, we just worked until we couldn't work anymore. Uh, we had the mindset of time on the court will get you better. Time on the track will get you faster. And so you, you did so what you could. So took you to the track too a lot. Yes. No. We, well, we had a, it was a, we call it a, we call it a track. It was a dirt a dirt circle right. over next to the park behind right. the place. We call it the track. Yeah. And we run and we do we do anything and everything that would try to just get me in a better shape. And so you can imagine the scenario if the parents had said, "Oh, Dave, he came home last night." And he was almost vomiting. Oh, my, he couldn't eat his dinner because he was so tired, right? Oh, no. Okay, so that scenario, parents, you got to trust those coaches out there. Trust the teachers. You know, to, it, it is so, so important if there's a difference, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, but I've said before there's such a difference between resort coaching, country club coaching, academy coaching, and real coaching. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So in transitioning, Coach, so you played through the juniors and you played in college, and now you're a coach, so there was the teaching period, but you were a teaching professional. And just explain about getting into teaching professional and then maybe how your paradigm or your perspective changed. Uh, well, out of college, uh, was the first place to go is uh, coaching. That's where I've spent the last 10 years of my life, and I'd like to, I was hoping to be able to kind of give things that I was given and give it back to the younger kids and help help them stay motivated and maybe use some things that I learned from other coaches and kind of combine my knowledge to really create a tennis player. Uh, but even then, so when I when you first get out of school, you just remember the things that you told yourself to do as a player, but that doesn't always correlate directly as a coach. So it was a definite learning curve for my first two years, seeing that you can't tell. Uh, well, for me, I struggle with the little kids, so you can't tell. You can't scream and yell at a seven or eight year old expecting them to run all the way through it. You have to be able to massage certain things, and there's more of a psychological standpoint of being a coach versus just trying to give the same back as a player. Yeah, that's a good example. I my first, I remember I got put. Uh, I was working for Harry Hopman in Port Washington, New York, and. Um, you know, I was working a lot with the juniors and gung ho. I was going full blast and giving everything I had. And he put me with the like 10 and under kids or eight and under kids one afternoon. And I went out there. <laughs> it didn't quite work. I had one kid over sitting on the side of the court trying to catch a butterfly. And <laughs> parents up there who pay good money for this. And I'm trying to get them organized, and then I got one organized, and one kid over, went over and just started smacking the top of the net as hard as he, this is loud, this is loud, this is loud. So, I mean, those people who can work with young kids really have a blessing. Big but, time blessing. But, but what, what are just some good uh, stories or examples how you had to change your thinking from being a player to trying to get people playing tennis to being tennis players? Um, I, if go back to my first job, I remember I got a job at a, a local country club, and I was in charge of the 10 under group. And I feel like I thought it was a great gig, but I learned that's where everyone has to start because not many people want to stick around that side. 
But uh, we had a group of about 15 kids my first day, and I, I told myself, this is this is my 15. We're going to create these into 15 greatest athletes in the area, and we're going to run it through. Well, after the first week, uh, on that next Monday, we had now had 10 players. And then after the second week, we now have five players. And by the third week, the we had two saying, kids. And the boss is saying those dollars are like, going out going the door. On. And uh, apparently – being so hard-lined with a eight-year-old didn't it grab his attention the way I was expecting it would. And so le- learning how to change the way I coach depending on the age of the player and the desire of the player was the quickest learning curve that I had. The presentation. Big time. wasn't just the, uh, the information but the presentation, but without – Reserving energy without pulling, without pulling back, back, without, without, without tanking, ba- or, without tanking. Yeah, and that, that's and that, that just that takes time. Um, and even to this day, used to me, I, I still learn things every single day as far as how to make sure you get the most out of a player, but you have to focus on getting the most out of them instead of myself feeling that I'm having to give my all. So that was kind of my biggest pull away, is knowing am I making sure they're giving 100 percent. Right not am I giving 100% because that always has to happen, but it doesn't have to feel that way. You can't care more than your players care, but when they're little kids, they're not going to care. No. And uh, You can't force it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I see also, here's the other side of the danger. We'll go a little deeper with that. I've seen a lot of pros that are club pros, and they tank. And, look, folks, any if you're a pro out there, never, ever, 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 have your cell phone on on the tennis court. Do not ever talk to any. I don't care if it's the president of the United States. Well, maybe, you know, you maybe take that phone call, but if somebody did, but unless it's an emergency, you're never on the phone. And don't go talk to anybody that comes by. Engage. I guess the biggest thing, if they're 8-year-olds, if they're 6-year-olds, if they're 12 years old, if they're 80-year-olds, you engage. You must engage. And um, to be a professional, you have to be a professional with the way that the way that you work. So, so what immediately you found the difference coaching young kids, adults. Tell me about adults real quick. Adults that, was tough. That's, that that's was, a bummer. That was, that's, that's a, a whole tough one. different world. Sorry, adults out there. It's the hardest one because people want to be entertained. And it's it, sort of yeah. It go became, ahead. It, with adults. I mean, I, and I still try to coach them as if I'm coaching someone. I, I'll try to reteach the right grip or try to get this hack out of someone's game. But it was more important if Susie won her 3-0 league match that night or if Bob was able to still keep his 4-5 rating. So I had to, instead of switching to how do I coach this player or person to be a great tennis player, with adults you learn that how do I make sure they can stay good and they can keep having fun. So yeah, it's, it's a middle. It's a middle ground, which is very. It was. It was tough. It's doable, and it's. It has its it, fun. It is funny. One of my biggest flops. I never will forget, folks. Now this is 1972, so that's a few years back. But I can still remember we had wood rackets, the small ones, and I bombed very badly. There was a 50-year-old lady there. I was trying to teach her how to hit a topspin backhand. <laughs> She had an upside-down grip, if you know what I mean, and windshield wipers at the net uh, using the same side of the racket for both 
forehand and backhand. And I, I was sure I was going to teach her a topspin backhand, and it did not work out so well. But I think Mr. Hopman was smart. He put me more with the kids. So the adults are tough. Young kids are tough. So you figured that you're best with? Best with aspiring uh, college tennis players. Yeah, high-performance high players. And, yeah. And everybody wants to do that, but everybody doesn't have a knack with it. And you've had some great success. What? Why do you think that you've had success with that level player? Never being afraid to hurt a player's feelings on the court and sense of his tennis game. Being able to drag and get the best out of them as a player opposed to trying to make sure he feels good with the practice. So you lose players. Oh, very easily. And I've lost many players, but I've also kept many players because the ones that stay know I'm going to get 110% out of them. In a quote, I've often – look, look, folks, this is the truth. In my 47 years of coaching, 41 years of college, I've never had a player ever come back and say, you worked me too hard. But 100% never. of the time they will come back and say, why didn't you see more in me? Why didn't you push me harder? But at the time, they absolutely hate it. Now, this morning I had a phone call from a teaching pro. He does a great job. He has a lot of great players at major colleges. Um, you know, Darren, you know, called me this morning. And and I remember him coming up to me his junior year. And, Darren, if you're listening to this, we talked this morning. But he's going, Coach, you're so hard on me. You just – why are you so hard? You, you're doing this. You're always on my back. You're always on my I said, well, okay, I won't do that. Hey, you can go over on court number 23 over there, and I, I won't bother you anymore. And he goes, bah, bah, bah. Well, I remember very well. But no, 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 I, I don't. I said, so, well, which one do you want? Do you want me to just coddle you, or do you want me to to coach? You know, I've, hey, look, it's not personal. I'm just, I got, it's just business. I'm making my coaching noise. I have to do this. If you have any chance, I have to do this. Getting players, again, Tom Landry, yeah. getting players, people to do things they don't want to do in order to have things they want to have. So you've lost players early in your career so that that deter you from – you just didn't want to go the other route. Correct. I wasn't going to go – I wasn't going to tank, and I wasn't going to become – not saying that anyone that does this is tanking, but my my desires were to create great players. I was not interested in – having fun time tennis. Right. And also just doing the, doing the, uh, ball feeding, the, the ball, ball feeding the and ball feeder, you know, the kumbaya, I call it kumbaya, kumbaya tennis, kumbaya tennis. So anyhow, with that, you, you went into college coaching and now you're working with college coach, college age players, but, um, you know, and then you, in summers you do your camps and you'd work with people and you, you know, you've worked with a couple that players that have, Inspired moving up to the pros, and but the point is here. Okay, so talk about college. Uh, what you are surprised about? What has been a revelation? What do you like? What do you not like? Your first impressions of what about college? Uh, first impressions on the coaching standpoint is seeing, being able to see the that level that consistently every day really opens your eyes to how close players really are to that next level, but getting them to believe that they are there is a constant struggle because at this point in their life, they're, they're thinking 
I can get a job. I can do. I can do all the safety net features that we're able to do in the United States, but they don't see how close they are to really breaking through and being able to work with these guys and show them and get them and mentally able to say, you know, um, I, I'm closer to becoming a professional tennis player than I am becoming a doctor. Uh, those are the the biggest things to try to get through these kids because they are. I mean, they've had years upon years and hours upon hours of good training, and you get them to this level, it's 1% at this level is a massive jump, but it is hard to get that 1%. And so that's been the biggest joy for, for me in the college tennis level is knowing that just the smallest difference makes the biggest difference and being able to show these kids that, they can do as far, or they can go as far as they want to go, but it just takes that little bit more dedication and time. I don't know where we've lost the dream making in college, but college always. Roy Barth talked to our team last week, and he said that college was the necessary stepping stone to the professional ranks. Everybody went to college, then you went out and played professional tennis, and now. It's sadly most of the players, whether they have too much information or too much reality checks or too much, too many naysayers, uh, too many perks and things that feel good, um, they quit. They compromise. They compromise very often. By halfway through their junior year, they're already investigating Plan B. In my line, folks, I and coach, I, I usually will say, look, you've already spent more time on a tennis court training in your life, and you know more about this game than a brain surgeon spends in medical school. Now, why would you not pursue it to its fullest? Well, that, that's a good question, and we have not allowed those people to pursue excellence. And if you want to listen to this, look – Listen to my show from last week, folks, about the dumbing down and, and some of the things. Coach Randy Blumendahl was on about four weeks ago, and he talked about the dumbing down and how we shoot for the middle. And it, it's really very, very sad, but but most college players, wouldn't you say most have already given up on professional ranks? I would say so. And, mo- and the biggest uh, issue is that, when players now, and not all, but most, when they go to college, in their mind, their playing career is finished. They're not. Uh, they cash a, it in. A majority of tennis players will go to college because they think they couldn't make it on tour, because all they see is all the the glitz and glam of the 16-year-old superstar and the, you know, the Alexander Zarevs and the Titsipasses who were 16, 17, 18-year-old incredible athlete superstars, but. There is no focus on the Kevin Andersons who played at Illinois and who is just getting into the heart of his career at 20. Stevie Johnson's probably the, he's probably the best example. He was four years. Of I'm not going to tell you that he was out of shape, but when he Stevie, you know, when you were a little kid, you were out of shape. <laughs> okay, and uh, uh, Peter Smith out there did a fantastic job with. But but you know, Stevie Johnson went undefeated in college tennis at Southern Cal for two years, but he played real scoring. He did not play no ad and abbreviated scoring. And when he dominated college tennis for two years, he knew that he was the man. Yeah. And uh, the confidence to move forward. Of course, it was a rite of passage. And don't you also, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to go on that tangent. But we are just, what we're doing is backing up and teaching kids 
short methods of doing things and saying, hey, listen, just sorry, the other stuff's too hard. That's yeah. what we're doing when no, we're the, telling. The scoring is the, the issue with that, and then the, the dates that we're only allowed to play. I mean, in a normal laughable in a August to May, a normal touring professional or aspiring touring professional would play probably three times as many events as we're allowed 50, to in college. Fifty or sixty. Um, oh, when you were coaching junior tennis, you said this one time that you had a player whose match count, he was 12. He was 12 years old and was at 62 matches, and it was by October, September, October, September, it was somewhere in that area. It was, it was, what, so he got over 100 matches. In that year, he played over 120 matches. Over 120 matches as a 12-year-old, folks, as a baseball player in the last two and a half, two months, my son – has played 24 baseball games. And listen, don't tell me that those uh, abbreviated no-ad scoring or one-game sets are harder than the baseball games. But we're saying my son is playing nearly 100 baseball games a year, and he's getting the reps. And I know for a fact everything goes in in the way of learning, tough learning, then you get a little bit of confidence, then you get confidence, then you get locked in. And my golly, I had a HSE last week. I was watching the game from the parking lot. I just pulled up. I drove to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, my son, it sort of looked like he was at bat, but I, I couldn't tell. I was waiting on the parking lot. But I could sort of tell his body, you know, and I go, well, is that my son? It's one of those things. And he goes, crack, and hit a double to the fence. And I go, no, no, that's not him. Look at him run. He was, oh, my God, how did he get so fast? That's not him. That's not him. No, that's some other kid. I'm telling you, this is this happened just two weeks ago. And he slid into second base, popped up like he had seen it done on MLB, base, MLB Baseball. And I, I turned around and is number four. And that's my son. Oh, I said, are you kidding me? But it's the raps. Why don't people know that? Why don't? And, and it's just crippling what the USTA and the ITA does. You guys are crippling tennis by dumbing it down. And I, I hope that people, that you have to understand, we won't have tennis and high school is done unless we do something. We've got to do something. If you're a high school coach out there and you, you hire me, bring me in to do a talk, and I will come in and talk to your group of high school coaches. I know what to do. And uh, it's not because I'm smart than everybody else. I've just done this for 47 years. And we've got track records of places like Texas that know how to run a great high school format. So, Coach, let's get back to coaching here and yep. you real quick. So, the biggest thing for you, you're surprised at how good the players were, but you were sort of like stunned by how little the expectations are. Correct. For- it was seeing, seeing, seeing the level that they were already able to achieve, but also listening to where they thought they really were. Uh, there wasn't a true mirror in front of them because there, there had to be someone or multiple people that have told them, 
hey, man, you're, if you're going to college, you can't make it pro, or, hey, if you're doing this, you're doing that. Uh, there's the dreams. Like you said earlier, dreams the, the dreams were gone. And so that's that's the biggest thing with, with college tennis is being able to still guys can keep dreaming. Yeah, the dream stealers are out there, and it, it's it's tragic. It's tragic. So we need coaches like yourself. We need people to get into coaching. Um, uh, right now they're doing these certification programs and stuff, and I, I don't know what the answer is there. These certification programs, it's not like it makes someone a coach. I think you could become a little a better teacher by learning the – PTR, USPTA method. I, I know you can. You can learn that. But coaching is reps, right? Correct. No, it's all it's 100% reps. There's no there's no book you can read that's going to teach you how to be a coach. No. Even well, you know the point. The point. The point uh, about this <clears throat> is that I, I'd like to first of all encourage the coaches out there. Um, if you are coaching, understand there is a difference between teaching and coaching. You have an expertise. Some people see the X and the Ys. Some people see the X's and the O's. The others work with the Jimmys and the Joes, as they say. And um, it takes really both, and according to your personality, you, you have to work with, with both of those. Um, now, I, let, let me ask you this real really quick. 180 turn are your biggest – HSE effects as a coach working with young people. Can you tell us a story or two about that? Yeah, I've uh, got yeah, there's there was a player that I was, was working with for about three years. Um, when we started coming on, he was a I would say I wouldn't say a wimpy kid, but he wasn't going to be your ballroom brawler, tough tough as nails kid. But into about that third year, we were doing a workout and there was a hill uh, over next to the courts where we used to train. It was probably about a 60-degree hill. It's a pretty pretty intense hill. Um, we were going to do 10 hill sprints because it was half of fitness and half of some correctional behavior. And so we got into <laughs> So you were in the right mood to push him beyond. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so uh, we got into just finished the sixth hill. And uh, he jogs down the hill, and right before number seven, he pukes all over the grass, just completely empties his stomach. And I gave him the opportunity. I said, look, you can be finished right now if you want. I won't be mad about it. I can tell you've given given 100% up to this point. It is up to you on if we finish the next four. And instead of turning around and walking back away and just feeling like he could he could walk away, he said, no, I'm going to finish what I started. And that was probably the biggest HSC moment uh, probably up to date with my one of the first players. Uh, the second one would be – I was that same player, and it was about a year later. We're at a tennis tournament, and a week prior, he plays a kid, uh, loses to a kid. I think it was four and one or one and four. Just he he went in thinking he was going to lose. He just kind of didn't have the right mindset. And so, a week later, he ends up playing that exact same kid. And instead of falling to the pecking order of the situation, he just made balls and played a grimy, dirty, long match and ended up winning 7-5-6-0. The kid just couldn't hang that second set. And that that was the first day I've ever had a player to just see he realized to win a tennis match, it's not about forehands and backhands, but it's about grit and how hard you're willing to work. 
And that was, as a coach, that was probably the greatest moment that I've had as a coach, being able to see a player finally grasp onto that understanding. He had a rite of passage. Yes. But he made a rite of passage willfully with his mentality and saying, I'm not, I've just thrown up all over the place here. Coaches let me have the easy out, but I'm going all the way here. Yeah. And so that's a year and then it, but folks, this is the most important thing. Again, the rites of passage, let's say you play the same player at the same level five different times. You usually go in this order. You play and you lose easy, like three and three. So you work, 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 and the next time you play, you get closer, but you lose seven, five, six, four, and you go, wow, I must be getting better. Okay, then you play the next time after you work, 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 and then you lead in the first set. You win the first set, and you're up a break in the second set, and then you choke, and then you lose a 7-5 in the third, and it rips your heart out, and you're just devastated, and then you go back home, and you say, I need to sell my rackets or give this up. This tennis is just too much pain, and you have to come. You have a, a, a moment where you're just saying, do I really want to do this? Then you decide, no, I've got to play tennis. I want to play tennis. Then you go back out, and you work, 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 and now you have a match that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then you win 7-5 in the third, and you have had your rite of passage. Then the fifth time, you go back and play the same person. You beat them 6-3, 6-3, because they didn't want any more war zones. There wasn't. Mama was not there to pull them out of the pressure. And guess what? They didn't get to play a 10-point tiebreaker to get out of the pressure. Oh, and they didn't get to play no ad. And they, guess what? They had to fight, fight and dig down deep to get it done. But that's the five levels, folks. And I've coached, as I've coached for 47 years and all these years in college, this is the whole process. And uh, our number one player right now went from number eight, and he's finally, after three and a half years, he's the number one. He's the number one stallion out there in in that in that uh, horse's pen. And those everybody, a couple of the guys hate it because they might look a little more talented. But this guy suffers when he goes to practice. He suffers when he trains. He suffers when he competes. Guess what? The suffering has turned to joy because he has seen this evolution. So, and Coach, would you, is that pretty good? Yeah. (laughs) That's that's about on point. I'd like to, uh, about out of time here, and, and, uh, but I want to, again, about staying in tennis, why is it maybe, Re, the most rewarding are you know tell me it's being able to take uh, a kid from not knowing what he wants not knowing what hard work really means uh, and teaching him tools that will get him through any situation in life whether it's a, a tough job loss any tough situation being able to fight through anything that's that's unsettling anything that's difficult of uh, you can being able to just show kids where that line is and that they can push that line as hard as they want to push it if they're willing to do the work. 
and that can change a kid's life. And that's where we get the most joy being coaches. We can, we can change kids' lives for the better and show them they can accomplish anything they want, but it doesn't come without hard work, without dedication, and without no fear of failure. And it's one thing if the coach is a softy and lets them get away with stuff, uh, and doesn't hold them accountable, and whether it's in classroom or on the co- basketball court or the tennis, tennis court, if you're a softy and you let kids get away with things, just and I'm not just saying being a jerk or something, but lack of effort. There's two. There's two mortal sins here, if if you know what I mean. These are huge sins. One is if you ever don't give your best. Everybody knows that. But the other one is thinking too small. And youngsters should never have to think too small based on an an adult's point of view. Do you hear me? Adults out there, coaches and parents, never shortchange or hamstring your own children by thinking too small for them because you've already lived the life and you think you have a understanding about what excellence is. In that child's mind, they don't see themselves. They only feel themselves. But what Coach Fosnott just said here is brilliant because that's exactly as a coach if you if you ever handicap their thinking and allow them and and allow them to think small or get them to think small shame on you but the other thing is shame on our organization USTA if you cripple our children with abbreviated scoring no ad scoring tiebreakers for the third one game sets high school leagues if you cripple the children by playing this this uh, system that none of the kids want to play, this participation tennis, what you're doing is you're taking away one of the greatest tools in the world at searching for excellent. And, and coach, your ideas are excellent, and I just and and you just uh, that's why you're so respected as a coach, as a man, as a as a great teacher. Appreciate that. But thank thank you very very much for being on there and. Folks, I'm sorry. We're about out of time. I, this is Coach Chuck Priest, and we got to go. Creasy reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. God bless you, and thanks for listening to American Tennis.